Amen. That gave me like pentatonics vibes right there. Wasn't that awesome? Can we thank the band for leading us in worship this morning? Man, it is good to be here. And we are, if you're, if you're newer to Impact, I'm John, I'm one of our pastors here. I'm one of the two bald guys on staff. And um, that's right, that's right. And we are in week six of our series called Wildfire. We're walking through uh, the story of the early church. Um, and in your Bible, this book is called Acts, but really the entire book, the, the, the real title to this book of the Bible is not just Acts, it's mostly, it's, it's usually called the Acts of the Apostles, the action of the early church. We've been walking through this series. We've, we've talked about the actual church. This is, in Greek, it's a word called ekklesia. It's a, it really means more than church, it means gathering. So it's really not a building. It's not walls. It's not concrete or mortar or anything like that. It's a people. It's a gathering of the people. That is the church. We've talked about scripture, this right here. How many of these do we have in our homes? How many do we have on our phones? How much access we have to it all the time? The early church, man, they fed off of this. They loved this. This was their lifeblood. They gathered around it to open it and to study it and to read it. Ryan preached about the word several weeks ago. We talked about prayer and boldness. We talked about the, the essence of the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity that's so often forgotten, that's so often missed. Yet, when we become believers, each of us has the Holy Spirit live inside of us. He goes with us. He's with you now. He's with you later when you're deciding what to watch. He's with you when you're on your phone and you don't think anyone else is looking. He's with you right then. He's with you and he gives you power. Everybody say power. power. He gives you power. Today and tomorrow and the weeks to come. Last week, we talked about the gospel. Man, wasn't that refreshing? Who was here last week hearing Jason preach with Musa? Did that not just give you chills the whole time? I wish Musa was up here with me. Dang it. <laughs> But he's in Atlanta at a mission conference. And we, are, we last week, if you, if you missed it last week, go back and listen to it. Um, just, it is a, a shot in the arm. It is uh, really us talking about the lifeblood of the church, the gospel of Jesus. That humanity was broken and God inserted himself into earth. And the incarnate God, God made flesh and he came to bear the weight of our sins so that we could have freedom and hope. And last week, 30 people stood up to accept Jesus as their savior. Can we celebrate that this morning, church? Man, it was amazing. And this week, I'm talking about something different. Tucked in the book of Acts, we're actually gonna be covering four stories today. So buckle up, we're gonna be flipping through our Bibles a lot today, all right? Four stories from the book of Acts. Before we go there, I wanna play a little game together, all right? And I need you all to stand up for this game, okay? You're like, is this a joke? This is not a joke, this is not a test, all right? Everyone stand up, we're playing a game called This or That. What I want you to do is you're going to vote. And I know some of you are like those like gray people, you're not black and white people, you're like gray people, you're like, well, but I'm kind of a little bit of both, I get it, all right? Just fall off the log, make a vote. Okay, so we're playing a game called This or That this morning. We're gonna start with food preferences, all right? Sweet 
or savory? Sweet or savory? So do you like the salty food? You like Auntie Anne's? The, that, that, uh, man, that pretzel looks nice, doesn't it? Or the cupcake, all right? So if you choose, uh, if you choose savory, if you choose salty foods over sweet foods, uh, stay standing. The rest of you sit down. Sweet people, sit down. Oh, look at this. Wow. A lot of salty people out here this morning, I'd say. All right, stand back up, stand back up. We're gonna play another round, so we're gonna keep going. So you're sitting and standing a lot, okay? All right, next one right here. Here we go, dogs or cats? Oh, man, dogs or cats? Well, I have both. All right, if you are a, uh, a cat person, stay standing, dog people sit down. Ho! Oh, boy. Wow, cat people, do you feel, you're kinda out on, you're by yourselves, okay? The majority are dog people. I knew this church was a sanctified church. I knew it, and now it's just, everyone stand back up. Next one right here, here we go. We're in the deep end of the pool now. Oh my gosh, what is going on? Okay, U of M or Michigan State, all right? If you're a U of M fan, you stay standing, Michigan State. Okay. Oh, hey. We got a lot of U of M people. U of M people, everyone say bet. Zoom, okay, not, all right. Everyone stand back up. Stand back up. Now, this next one, this is like, this is the stuff of premarital counseling right here, okay? All right, when we go into premarital counseling with couples, we're like, we're talking about expectations. Toilet paper roll direction is a real big one. We don't want anyone thrown off. You know, they get married, they say, I do. They go home and they're like, what on earth? You can't possibly be one of those people. All right, if you're the person that has, is this the, what's the waterfall? And I forget, there's like different names for it. It's, the, yeah, right? The mullet or the beard, I love that. So if you are, uh, the toilet paper has to go backward, stay standing. Toilet paper forward, you sit down. Oh my word. Jesse, you like yours backward? Oh my gosh. You know, I'm the guy that goes into a place and if it's backward, I'm like, I'm changing it. I'm gonna change it, it's gotta go forward, come on. All right, stand back up. Okay, this one's a hotly debated topic on our staff right here, okay. This, this will divide teams, won't it? Android or iPhone or Apple. Okay, if you're an Android person, you stay standing. If you're Apple, you took, go ahead and take a seat. All right, wow, we got a lot in here, okay. All right, elbow someone next to you. Okay, give them grief. All right, everyone stand back up. Winter or summer? Um, we are in Michigan, so it just surprises me how many people uh, love winter, but there, there's a lot in here, so I, I'm sure of it. So here we go. If you are a winter person over a summer person, why don't you stay standing? Summer, go ahead and take a seat. Winter, stay standing. Yeah, look at you guys, yeah. You're in the right state. Yeah, you're in the right state. We're going into the right season. Yeah, here we go. Okay, everyone stand back up. All right, Pepsi or Coke? 
Pepsi or Coke products. Have you gotten into arguments over this with friends? My wife is such a Diet Coke fan that Pepsi products, it's just like, they, they could just go completely away. But I love Mountain Dew. <laughs> so it's a problem. All right, Pepsi people stay standing, Coke people take a seat. Oh, mostly Coke, I think. Well, we got a lot of Pepsi people right here. They're staying standing. Okay, all right, stand back up. All right, this one right here. Some of you walked in, and I actually heard this this morning. Some of you walked in, and you saw the Christmas tree out in the lobby, and I heard a guy, who's like, this is too soon. <laughs> this is too soon, I gotta leave now, right? Okay, so this is uh, Christmas music before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving, okay? This is also hotly debated on our staff. There are arguments in our office in the month of November a ton because of this. So if you start listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, you can stay standing. If it's like, no, it's gotta be afterward. Oh, my people right here, yes. I, I'm serious, guys. I think my mom starts listening to Christmas music like around like Labor Day hits and she's like, boom, Christmas music goes on. All right, everyone stand back up. All right, this is another one that comes up in counseling conversations big time. Spender or saver, okay? Spender or saver. I see people looking at their spouse. I see that, so, yep, okay. You're telling, you, you're gonna get into an argument later if they don't make the right decision. You're like, what? You think you're the saver? Is this a joke? Yeah, all right. So savers uh, stay standing and spenders take a seat. Wow, we got a lot of saving people in here. Okay. We're very, this, we're a very conservative bunch this morning, very fiscally responsible. Yeah, that's right. All right, everyone stand back up. Last one here, last one. I'm kidding, everyone take a seat. All right, we're not doing that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh. How's your blood pressure this morning? <laughs> Check your apology. Did it just go up? Yeah. The message title this week is Conflict in Sharp Disagreements. It's interesting. We've talked for five weeks about a lot of essential parts of our faith. And so you might actually ask the question, why, are, why in the book of Acts? I don't, I'm not even sure where this is tucked away. There's actually four stories we're covering, and we could actually cover way more than just four. Four particular stories we're covering today from the early church where conflict and this or that took a, like a front row seat to the church. In fact, it gathered, and you'll find out here in our text today, it gathered all of the apostles, all of the disciples from a lot of different regions, they're all coming together because like this is a really, 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 really big deal. What we decide here, how we decide, what we pray through, what we decide on our own. Did we decide on our own or did we consult the Holy Spirit? How do we do this thing called conflict? How do we engage? And I gotta confess to you today, I really didn't wanna preach this message, okay? <laughs> I am typically 
pretty conflict averse. Um, I went through a, a leadership program with our, um, with our region. We're a part of a denomination, we're part of the Wesleyan Church, and about 10 years ago, I went through um, a leadership program, and in it, we started off where we did some personality assessments. And here were some of my results from Strengths Finder, from Spiritual Gifts Inventory, from Enneagram Strengths Finder. Harmony was my number one strength. And then number two was like restorative. And then the third was includer, okay? So, <laughs> so conflict is not something I typically love engaging. Spiritual Gifts, my number one uh, spiritual gift on, on this assessment was hospitality, love making people feel welcome. And then on Enneagram, I'm a type nine peacemaker. So here I am preaching on conflict. How did I get this? Jay and Ryan and I drew straws, I drew the short straw. That's what happened, no, I'm kidding. I don't like fighting. And yet the reality today is that conflict is everywhere and it affects everyone. I've had friends tell me who are counselors, they're like, if you know, honestly, you're gonna fight at some point. It's just how you fight. Um, there's a book written by uh, Craig and Amy Groeschel. It's a premarital counseling book. And in it, that one, of the, one of their five statements to couples is make sure you learn how to fight fair. Conflict is everywhere. It's in marriages, it's in homes, it's with siblings, it's students, it's at school, right? Um, it's in the workplace. It's definitely on our social media feeds. You watch people engage and battle. I'll tell them what, exactly what's up. It's in the news. I think like our news, I think our culture really likes taking conflict and honing it uh, to divide people almost intentionally. Gets more clicks. Conflict is everywhere. It affects everyone. I was doing some a uh, little bit of research on like statistics this week. Found out that violent crimes are elevated. This isn't shocking to anyone in here probably, but they're elevated in 2023 compared to 2019, the year before the pandemic and before probably one of the most divisive elections in our lifetime. Um, in fact, violent crimes have, are so elevated, there are 24% more homicides in the first half of 2023 than there were just four years ago in 2019. 24% increase. If you ask me in April of 2020, I was probably pretty naive. <laughs> so if you ask me in April of 2020 what I thought the biggest problems would come from the COVID pandemic, I would have answered with medical issues, death, sickness, mental health, etc. I would not have predicted that in just a couple short months, we would have experienced riots, race division, politics that would have ended years-long friendships. Did you have any, was anyone affected like that? Just me? Estranged family members, did anyone have that? People leaving chats and threats, threads and making like passive-aggressive comments and just straight-aggressive comments. And I, I'm telling you, it was wild. I, I was like, what is happening? I thought we were gonna tackle this as a, as a country. I thought we were gonna tackle it as a team. I thought we were gonna, I thought the church was gonna unite and rally together. And instead what I, what I discovered is it, it was like a hotbed for conflict, a hotbed for divisiveness, forever changed dynamics of social and educational and religious groups. 
I, and I talked to the staff member this week about primary debates. Did you know that we're entering into another election year? Next year. That's coming. Yeah. You ready for it? No, I see, I see your faces. You're dreading it. So the question I want to ask today is how do we engage in conflict well? Because as the church, I believe, I'm going to make this statement, I believe that if there, are, if there was a way of measuring institutional readiness for conflict and disagreement in this world, if we were able to somehow rate institutions and we were able to take different educational organizations and uh, uh, governmental systems and companies and businesses and, and all of it, and even different religious groups, I believe that the church should be leading the way in how to do conflict well. Do you agree with me? I believe that the church should be leading the way in how to engage, to disagree with a brother or sister and to still say, I love you. See what our culture is telling us today is that you can't actually disagree with someone and still love them. That's hogwash. That's garbage. Like we, there, are all, there are all kinds of places here in scripture where we're actually supposed to contend with one another. We're supposed to challenge one another. This is called holiness. This is called sanctification. This is called us becoming more like Jesus, dying to ourselves. I believe that the church, and so as we read through these texts today in the book of Acts, I believe that the church should be the best place for dealing with conflict. We're gonna cover four conflicts in the book of Acts today. Four conflicts in the book of Acts, and we're gonna start in Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one. This is a conflict of care. This is a conflict of attention. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, we're gonna just pause there. So what's happened in the book of Acts up to this point? So in Acts chapter one, we have the account where Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells the disciples and these 120 people, there aren't very many of them at the time. He's like, hey, you're gonna stay here. You're gonna wait for what? The Holy Spirit, you're gonna wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you're gonna receive power to be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, so that's locally. Judea, that's a little bit more regionally. And to the ends of the earth, that's a pretty big deal. At this point, it's not gone out to the ends of the earth. It's still in Jerusalem and Judea. Okay, this is pretty early on. And yet, thousands of people are being added because of the gospel of Jesus. Thousands of people are being added. Now this is good and this is bad. This is good because people are getting saved. The bad part that we're gonna read about here in a second is that there are so many people to take care of that people are getting overlooked. People are getting neglected. And so what happens right here is the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. We're gonna stop there. Do you notice these two different groups? What are the two groups we have? We have two groups that are actually both Jewish still. Okay, we haven't, the Gentiles really haven't heard the gospel a whole lot at this point. So we have two different Jewish groups, but we have here a Hellenistic. Hellenistic is really synonymous with a Greek. So these are Greco-Roman Jews. They have adopted new customs. They are, in a word, liberal. I'm serious. They, they, these are Jews who still believe in all the Jewish things, but they, they, they have a little bit more of a liberal or a progressive mindset. They're living in the culture around them. 
And the other Jews are Hebraic Jews. They, the text here, Luke makes sure to differentiate between the two. We have a progressive group of Jews and we have another group of Jews that are more conservative. They wanna hold on to our original Old Testament, all of the customs, all of the things that make us unique. We wanna hold on to those. So who's right? I don't know. But here, here, here we have our first example right here in the, of the church. They're like drawing the line. Those conservatives over there. I just, those progressive, and they're drawing lines. And what's happening is people are the ones that are taking the brunt of it. It's not positions that take the brunt. It's people. And so what happens is there are, there's complaints because people are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect people. No, they actually didn't say that. They said it wouldn't be actually, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. It's just interesting right here in the text, like the disciples are like, we, we, have, we have a conundrum here. We have a problem. We have our first conflict. We have the word that needs taught and that needs preached. We also need people who need food and need cared for. And we can't do all of it. We've felt this so many times as pastors of our church. I can't, I, I'd love to meet with everyone. I can't meet with everyone. How do, I, how, do I, how do I be all things to all people? I, I don't know. And so the disciples here, when I've gotten complaints, because do you get complaints from people at work? Do you get complaints from people at home? We all get complaints. Complaints are an indication, if you actually listen, complaints are an indication of people feeling unseen or neglected. People complain the most when they feel unseen and neglected. And so what the disciples do, they do something very different than what my knee-jerk reaction is. My, my default is like, if someone's complaining to me about something that I'm not doing, pastor, you're supposed to meet with me and you're supposed to meet with me and you're supposed to do this and you're supposed, but you need to preach a little bit differently. You gotta do these things, but what about this ministry? What about these people? What about, I'm like, oh my word, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it all. I, there's not enough time. If I was 24 seven trying to meet all the needs, I couldn't do it. And so my initial reaction, I don't know if it is for you, is to get defensive. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why, I, don't put that on, I can't do all. Do you, know, do you know what else I have? And so I start, I wanna show people my calendar. Look at my calendar, look how busy I am. And I start wondering, what does that do? You know what I'm talking about? You wanna get defensive. <clears throat> the disciples didn't do that. They didn't get defensive, I love this. I don't know if internally they were defensive. They probably were, they're probably a little bit hurt. Like, oh man, they're, they're criticizing me. Does anyone love criticism? No. It's someone pointing out something that needs to change. I don't like criticism. And, and yet what they do is they don't get defensive, they get proactive. They're like, okay, we're listening. We hear you. We're not making excuses. Well, you don't understand. Could you imagine leading an organization that had literally tens of thousands of people come into the organization in the first several months? We grew from 12 to 20,000 like that. I, I, that is, that's a nightmare. Yeah. 
And yet it's awesome. I mean, the gospel, people are being saved. And so people are celebrating all this stuff. And the disciples are like, I don't know how to do it. How do I? I can't juggle all these things. And balls are dropping. And I'm instead, they get proactive. And this is the first example where they're like, this is a conflict of care that, that moves the church to say, hey, we're going to empower other people to take part in the mission. We're not just going to make some excuses. We're going to say, hey, you know what? You're... You're right, there are people that, that need help. Could you help us lead that? So many ministries have started here at Impact because of that. People are dealing with grief. Like, hey, who could, we have a team, actually they're right in here, that led last night a grief over the holidays ministry right here at Impact. You know how many people are dealing with grief coming into holidays? lost loved ones, memory. Hey, let's, let's gather around. And you know what? I wasn't there. I don't go to the group, but there are people who are very trained and skilled and have pastoral hearts and they love Jesus. They're full, this, one of the verses says, they, they're full of the spirit and then it pleases the whole group. I love, what, what I want you to notice in each of these conflicts is that there is a pleasure and there's a goodness that come after every one of these conflicts. Conflict is unavoidable and I think when we dive into it and we really listen and enter into someone else's paradigm and perspective, perception, we can meet some needs and grow as a, as a church. Um, David Brooks, I was reading part of his book, it's called How to Know a, Peop- How to know a Person, um, being deeply seen and, and seeing other people deeply. And he writes this, when you stand in someone else's standpoint, seeing the world from the other's point of view, then all participants in the conversation are contributing to a shared knowledge one person describes their, oh, I'm sorry, but very often in hard conversations, there's no shared pool of knowledge. One person describes their set of wrongs, right, the Hebraic Jews, and then the other person describes their own different set of wrongs in these Hellenistic Jews. And as the conversation goes on, they each go into deeper detail about their particular wrongs, but there's no shared pool. Pretty soon, have you been a part of these kind of conversations? Pretty soon, nobody is actually listening. It doesn't take much to create an us them dynamic this is a surefire way to do it church we got to be different we can be different we will be different right amen conflict number two we jump okay i told you we're going to be jumping around so we're just in acts chapter six we're jumping to acts chapter 15 now all right, in these nine short chapters the gospel has gone out from jerusalem judea it's gone to the ends of the earth Cyprus, Paul and Barnabas have been, have been commissioned. They've gone on their first missionary journey. They've gone to Cyprus, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, essentially modern Turkey. They haven't made it all the way into Europe and into, into Greece, um, to Athens, to Rome, to other areas, but they've made it up to Turkey and to these other locations. And we have the gospel is now hitting Gentiles, that's most of us. Most of us are non-Jewish by ethnicity or by even belief system. Like we didn't grow up Jewish. And so the gospel, aren't you glad that the gospel goes out beyond just the Jews? This is amazing. And so Paul has been commissioned and in these previous, in between chapter six and chapter 15, so much 
uh, so many people are added to the number of believers. And they're not just Jewish, they're Gentile. They're not just, there's brown skin, there's black skin, there's white skin, there's people of different uh, ethnicities, there's people of different languages. All of a sudden, we have a hotbed for racial and belief system divide. And this is what happens in chapter 15. And it is such a hotly debated topic that it draws the attention of all the leaders. Check this out. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, if you're looking at a map, this is kind of weird because Judea is south of Antioch. But Judea and Jerusalem were a higher elevation. So really anywhere you would travel, if you're going from Jerusalem, you're going down to that location. And so right here, there are some people who came down from Judea to Antioch. They're actually going north and they were teaching the believers. Now listen to this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Jason and Musa stood up here last week and they were preaching the gospel. They were talking about the good news of Jesus and what if they just added on to that and, and fellas, you gotta have a pretty important surgery. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think as many people are standing up and joining the club. But yet this is a huge deal to the Jewish people. This was the sign that was given from God himself to Abraham, a sign of the covenant. So the Jewish people, no wonder, they're like, no, we can't, they have to be circumcised if they're gonna be a part of this, this movement. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Aren't you glad for that too? So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem. Here you see it again. They're going up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And so they discuss it a little bit and there are some Pharisees who are also followers of Jesus. So they've memorized the law. They've memorized, like as a teen, by the time they're teenagers, they've memorized the first five books of the Bible. These guys know their stuff. They're so dedicated to the law of God, the word of God. And they're like, surely they have to be circumcised, right? This is what it says, Peter gets up. You know, Peter's involved in this. So we had Paul and Barnabas, now we have Peter. Remember who Peter is? Peter's the guy that like Jesus, he goes everywhere with Jesus, right? He's the guy that walked on water. He's the guy that went on the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees Jesus where like Elijah and Moses show up and they're like glowing and this is Peter. And he's involved now, he's having to take the stand. He's a pretty big deal to the early church. He walked with Jesus. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts. There is no longer, and, and Peter actually writes, or not Peter, but Paul writes a letter to the church in this region. It's called Galatians. Galatians is actually a collection of churches, this whole area, Galatia, and it would have been to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and the, all these different regions. And you know what Paul's major message in the book of Galatians, go home and read it this week. The major message in the book of Galatians is this, it's Christ alone. Nothing else. 
If someone tells you you gotta do all these other things to get to God, if someone tells you you gotta, you gotta jump through all these different hoops, let them be damned. That's what Paul says. He's like, are you kidding me? And in chapter two, he gets so fired up about it, it says that he confronts Peter to his face in Galatians chapter two, because Peter, even though right here in Acts 15, he's standing up for it, and behind the scenes, he's like, I'll separate. I'll do the separate deal. Like, I'll, I'll say, uh, up front, I'll say the right things, but when we get behind closed doors, I'm gonna sit with the Jews and I'm not gonna sit with the Gentiles. I'm gonna change my behavior. I'm gonna show what James calls, calls out in the book of James, in chapter two of the book of James, he calls out favoritism. He calls out division. This is all over the place in the early church. It's, it's Paul's so passionate about it that in Galatians chapter three, he says this, there is now no longer, listen to this church, there is now no longer Jew or Greek. There's no, no, now no longer, what he's saying is there's no, now no longer ethnic divide. Stop dividing yourselves by different, it's not Jew or Greek, there's no longer male or female. Stop it, stop the division. There's no longer slave or free, so he hits socioeconomics. There's no longer the haves and the have-nots and the, the rich and the poor. Stop doing that, church, for all are one in Christ Jesus. All are one in Christ Jesus. So they write this letter, verse 23. They talk about it. James even takes a stand. I wonder if James takes the stand in, the, in, in Acts chapter 15. And I wonder if he's like, guys, um, I, Jesus was my half-brother. Okay, so um, I lived with the guy and I, I, I don't play that card a lot, but I'm gonna play it right now because I need to, all right? Like all the big wigs, and this is what they say, they pen this letter to the churches in Galatia, Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. To the Gentile believers, to the Gentile believers in this region, greetings. We have heard that someone out from us without our authorization and they disturbed you, troubling your minds. This is an understatement, fellas, am I right? <laughs> is it troubling to your mind that you'd have to have a surgery like this? All the fellas say yes with me, yes, okay? It disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. I, I wish he said troubled your minds and your bodies, okay? But he didn't, troubled your minds, so we, we all agreed to choose some men to send to them, to send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love how the Holy Spirit is just woven throughout these conflicts. In Acts chapter six, these people who they appoint, what were they? They were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Right here in Acts chapter 15, they're consulting with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord. They're praying through, what, what do you think, God, what should we do here? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Now this is, there's really three or four things in this uh, food sacrificed to idols from blood or the literal translation of the word is bloodshed. So it's killing someone. Uh, from the meat of strangled animals, which also connects to idolatry, and from sexual immorality, you will, do a well, you will do well to avoid these things. Really, these things are both Old and New Testament things. Now, we can eat, we can eat 
uh, all kinds of animals now. Like, that's not the problem. What the problem was for the, for, for the first century church is that food that was sacrificed to idols was a part of the idol worship. So you would worship the idol and you would eat the food that was sacrificed to idols and they were, uh, they were inextricably like connected. They were, they were like this. And so to eat the food sacrificed to idols was to engage in idol worship. And idol worship has no place in Old Testament, has no place in the New Testament. Sexual immorality, no place in the Old Testament, no place in the New Testament. These are both backed up, all right? Bloodshed, same thing. Are people made in the image of God? Yes. They have the image, the imago dei on them. So bloodshed, you're, you're going to do well to avoid these things. These are universal truths for us. It's a conflict of belief. <clears throat> Imagine if at the beginning when we were playing the game this or that, I had you stand up and I had on the screen, I don't even know what I'd have on the screen, but circumcision or non-circumcision. And just, this is what's happening for the church right now. They're like, we are, that's what they're deciding on, okay? This isn't like Santa Claus or Christmas trees or U of M, MSU. This is like a pretty big deal and it's going to change the trajectory. What do we believe? This is a conflict of belief here. A conflict of belief. And yet Paul addresses Peter. They address the Pharisees. There's all of these pieces in Galatians chapter two and in Acts chapter 15. And they show us these ways, the following ways to work through conflict. Address first, address face to face. It says in the book of Galatians chapter two, it says, when I saw Peter, I opposed him to his face. I opposed him to his face. Just recently, I had to have some really hard conversations um, with someone. And um, the first part of the hard conversations was face to face. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy. We were contending. We were talking about inappropriate behavior. I was bringing up situations. I was like, I, I don't think these are in line with the Lord. I don't really think that these are in line with something that is caring for our community. I, we had to contend. But you know what this person could see? This person could see my face. Um, he could hear my heart. By the end, he's sharing parts of his story where there's brokenness and there's hurt. By the end, we're, we're praying for each other. Even though we're contending, because we're talking face to face, there's something that can be exchanged in a way of like care while there's conflict. Can you do both at the same time? I hope you can do both at the same time. Some of you, <clears throat> I actually talked to the guy last night and he said, man, I'm just going through it in my marriage right now. And when we talk in person, everything's great. There's, they're separated, but when we talk in person, Everything's great, but so much of our communication now is over text. Church, if you're gonna have a, if you're gonna confront someone, whether this is a spouse, you're gonna talk about something hard with a spouse, whether it's a roommate, students, a classmate, a friend, do not do it over this, okay? All right, everyone, I'm not, I'm not, I will not, we're gonna make a little vow, I will not address, okay? You don't do it over this, how many of you have been misunderstood because of a text you sent? 
I mean, autocorrect alone, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, that was voice to text, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, yeah, I didn't mean to say that wasn't what I meant to say. <clears throat> Same with emails, goodness, oh my words, definitely with social media, okay? That's a nightmare. Address someone face to face. You know what happens when you address someone face to face that throws all kind of vitriol, like via text? I mean, they could be all kinds of four letter words and expletives and you get with them face to face and you start asking questions of their heart and of their life and you start getting at the real nitty gritty. Yeah. And you'll find that hurt people hurt people, they're hurting. There's a reason that they're hurting you because they've been hurt and they feel unseen Address face to face, be bold but loving. Focus on the issues. And it's so often it goes from the issues to the person and we say, well, because you acted this way, you are this. Ooh, no, nope, you're not your actions. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a son or you're a daughter of the king. You're adopted. You are, you've been perfected even though you're not perfect. You've been redeemed. You've been sanctified. You've been saved. You've been all these things. That's who you are. You're not all these other mistakes. You're not all this other. These are, now, you do these things. Are they a problem? Do they need addressed? Do you need to work? Sure, but you're not those things. Focus on the issue and don't make the issue an identity. Don't avoid it. And then how about this one, listen before speaking. Ooh, that's tough, isn't it? And while you're listening, don't just be collecting what you're gonna be saying next. You know when that happens, like you're waiting for the pause, and ah, I've got my moment, I gotta say what I gotta say now. Conflict number three, personalities and preferences. In the same chapter, look at what happens here. So, uh, so, this chapter ends, the, or not this chapter, but the previous story ends where they send a letter, letter and it's been given to the people and it says that the people were glad for its encouraging message, all right? They worked it out. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Acts chapter 13, verse 13, it's just one verse, and you'll see they're on a missionary journey, and John Mark, he bails, and he goes back to Jerusalem. We don't know why he bailed. We don't know if he got skittish, he got scared, something happened. We don't know if he got sick, whether he found out that parents were dying, I gotta go visit my family. I don't know what happened, but he deserted them, and Paul has been hurt by it. He's like, I've been hurt by that. This is a boundary, okay? This, I'm, I, I don't trust the guy, but Barnabas, his name literally means son of encouragement, and John Mark is his cousin. So he's like, I wanna give him another chance. Aren't you glad for people that wanna give another chance? And aren't you glad that over here that it's okay to have certain boundaries with people? Both are tucked right in the middle of this disagreement. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Paul and Barnabas, the dynamic duo, Robin and Batman, they left each other. They parted. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose 
Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Church, I want you to hear this tucked in this text. Sometimes living at peace with people means blessing them to do something that you actually wouldn't do. Isn't that tough? Blessing people to do something that you wouldn't do. Do you know that we're a part, Impact Church is a part of a Lowell Ministerial Alliance. It's a combination of missionary churches and Baptist churches and Reformed churches and United Methodist churches and West, all kinds of churches. And do we teach or believe or do all of the exact same things? We actually don't, but we come around the gospel of Jesus and the mission of the church at large and we become unified even though we're not uniform. We say it this way around here at Impact, this church is for anybody, but it's really not for everybody. And that's okay. I, if you need to be a part of a, of a ministry that's doing this to these people, we don't have that, but man, God bless you as you go and do that over here. Man, if you believe these things about, let's say women in leadership, and that's an area where we've just said with certain pastors and certain churches, you know what, we agree to disagree. We're reading the text, but we agree on these essentials of the faith, and we are going to have women that preach up here on stage, and you might, and, but there's, there's other churches that are like, well, we're, we don't do that. That's okay, okay. Okay, we, we still love you. We still bless you. We're gonna part company and we're going to see the gospel of Jesus advance. The kingdom of God advance even because of it. Isn't that amazing? Right here in this, the present disagreement, this is what um, Bruce says from uh, the book of Acts. He writes the New International Commentary of the New Testament. He writes this. Even so, the present disagreement was overruled for good instead of one missionary journey and pastoral expedition. There are now two. Hmm. Barnabas took Mark and went back to Cyprus to continue evangelization of his native island. Paul visited young churches of Anatolia. Can you be in the same room with someone that you disagree with and still bless them? You know, Jesus operated this way. Have you looked at the 12 guys he chose? They were a total mess. They were a mess combined with a train wreck Combined with a car accident, waiting to happen, I mean, you were a mess. You know who he chose? He's like, I think I'll have you guys. You're a, you're a fisherman. Uh, yeah, you come on board. Yeah. Um, you, you're a zealot. The zealots literally started riots and revolts throughout history for the Jews to overthrow Roman rule, Assyrian rule, all kinds of other rulers. Those are the zealots. And I'm also gonna choose you. You're a tax collector. You actually work for the people this guy wants to overthrow. Hey, let's get you in a room together and get some popcorn, all right? I mean, Jesus, I wonder if Jesus is like, this is gonna be great. He's just sitting back. I got these two guys in the same room. He's, Jesus is intentionally choosing people from all different aspects and perspectives and he brings them together and they're called the 12. They're not called individual people, they're more often called the 12 disciples than they are called their individual parts. They're still united and they still have very different perspectives. The conflict, the last conflict that we have that we're gonna end here happens in Acts chapter 16. So you turn the page to the next chapter. What happens in Acts chapter 16 Paul came to Derby, so he's going out with Silas. He comes to Derby and then to Lystra, where the disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer. She was she believed. Um, 
and whose father was a Greek. Now it's assumed here in the text and you don't get this, but because of how it, how it reads, whose father was a Greek, um, likely his father was a Greek who did not believe. He was not a believer. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, him being Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, him, Timothy, along the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here's what what Paul is doing. Paul, if you read scripture, this is why it's so important to read scripture in context. Here we have in chapter 16, if we read it just straight, we're like, ah, he circumcised him. Okay, if you read it with chapter 15, you're like, what are you doing? You just argued that he doesn't have to be circumcised. Now you're taking him on a journey to deliver a letter to people. Hey, guess what? You don't have to be circumcised, but I was just circumcised. What are you doing? Because of all the Jews who lived in that area, for they knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. Isn't this just beautiful? After each one of these conflicts, strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. This last conflict, church, is a conflict of internal sacrifice. And isn't this where most conflicts start anyway? They start right here. They start right here. Someone believes differently than what? Me. Someone thinks differently than what? Me. Someone's doing something that what? I wouldn't do. Most conflicts start here. This is a conflict of internal sacrifice. Isn't it interesting here that Paul encourages Timothy to do the very thing that he just argued that you don't have to do. Paul does it this way throughout the rest of uh, some of his letters. In fact, one of his other letters, he says, I become all things to all people. Do I have the right to do anything? I have the right to do anything. I literally have the right to do anything I want to do. But do I do anything that I want to do? No, I don't. I, I decide to give up certain things. I become all things to all people. Listen to this, so that I might win some for the gospel. There's a story in the book of Acts where Paul literally goes into a region and he shaves his head. He becomes a bald bro. I'm like, that away, Paul. Just to reach people, he gets a different haircut. Like, oh, that's real petty, Paul. You don't need to. He's like, that's what it's going to take for them to be like, okay, I respect you. I see you. And that was going to be the barrier. I'm going to eliminate that barrier. And Timothy decides to have this surgery of circumcision in order to remove a barrier so that the church could be strengthened in faith. Church, that we would be full of people who are willing to lay down their rights like what Timothy did for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Could we do that this year as we go into an election year? Could we do that when we're talking about hotly debated topics, really listening to people and not saying we have to agree all the time? Can we, disagree, can, we, can we disagree and still love the person well? Can we lay down our own rights and our own preferences for the sake of the other person? I really hope so, church. Can we do that? Amen. Timothy does it. Henry Cloud writes this in his book, Boundaries. I'm not sure if you've read that book. Really, really good stuff by Henry Cloud. It would be nice if business and life were all happy talk, but it isn't. It is hard. It sometimes brings about situations where people feel pain, fear, grief, and anger. 
But avoidance of the tough issues, what psychologists call conflict aversion, only makes things worse. Have you been there? So to create unity, sometimes we have to get right into the hard stuff. The things that people are really upset about. And at some point, every high-functioning team I've ever worked with has had to grapple with some very emotional and conflict-laden interactions before they get to their highest levels of collaboration and achievement. It is a necessary valley to go through before reaching the mountaintop. On the other side of conflict lies a lot of good stuff if people can hang in there. Church, you can hang in there. I know some of you are going through the most uh, visceral... Um, and painful conflict ever, right now, in this room. And maybe no one knows about it, maybe a few people know about it. You know, you, you can do this, you can do this. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can make it, we can make it, church. How do we do it well? I wanna end by just reading this text and then we're gonna pray to close. I'm not even gonna make any sort of commentary on this text. I'm gonna let this sit. Paul writes to a church in Rome years later. Writes to a church in Rome and he writes about these things that should be the whole persona, the whole essence of how we act as followers of Jesus. As you're engaging in conflict this week, today, this month, this year, whatever, have these things in mind. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God, would you do this work in us? Do the work, Holy Spirit, that only you can do. When we're in a battle of this or that <laughs> and beyond just preferences and food types and toilet paper direction, I mean, when we're in the thick of it in, in our workplace and in our homes and with our friendships and in our church, God, would you give us the ability to press through for care, for, for, for communication, even for disagreeing well and to listening to people well. God, would you allow these, um, these commands that Paul gives to the Roman church in Romans chapter 12, would you allow these to permeate our hearts, God? Jesus, help us to be like you. We wanna engage in conflict well. We want the church to be the way that's, the, the one that's leading the way. So would you give us that power and that ability? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Hey, you're dismissed, you're commissioned to go at this time. Prayer team is up here if you wanna pray. Uh, we'll see you next week.